My people, my people, it is time for the Week in IndyCar listener Q&A. Hey, that uh, Indy Grand Prix sure was boring. Nothing to talk about after that. Ah, y'all are, I don't want to say killing me, but uh, wow, that race can be a bit boring. And I know for some, it definitely was boring. Um, nonetheless, I am staring at 5,864 words worth of questions you have sent in. My dear amazing wife, who kicked butt yet again today at physical therapy, uh, after telling her that we had almost 6,000 words worth of questions, said, well, how many questions is that? And I said, I don't know. A lot. Uh, many. I don't know if we're into triple digit, but man, our uh, good pal Jim Kaiser, who puts together the list for us. Uh, wow. We're uh, making sure he's staying on top of a lot of great questions from y'all. So thanks for sending them in. We're going to dive into them in just a moment. I want to mention a couple of things up front. As always, the real basic one. Thanks. Thank you for sending these in, taking the time. I really do enjoy this each week. It's a lot of fun. Also want to say huge thanks to Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers for supporting us year after year, and I hope it continues for many, many years to come. And then finally, the wacky Canadian-American duo of Derek Koska and Roger Warwick. Derek is torontomotorsports.com. Roger is the man whose art uh, populates so much of what Derek has to sell. They've gotten together, combined, and put together a mobile sales unit. Holy cow. And so it will indeed be at the good old Indianapolis Motor Speedway here ASAP. I'd be lying if I knew exactly what day. Derek will tell me, though. But they're going to be positioned right outside turn one. Uh, They are going to be in a pretty prime place near the uh, little roundabout that's gone up uh, right in front of the USAC offices. For those of you who know uh, the footprint there. So thanks to those three beautiful companies, peoples, and organizations for supporting all that we do. When I say we could not do this without them, that's not one of those platitudes. It's really, truly real. (laughs) I couldn't afford to do this without their support. So thank you to them. Let's talk about a crazy little thing called the Day. For those of you who are new-ish listeners, uh, old-ish listeners, don't know if you know about the Day. They're little wacky tobacky. We love them nonetheless. They are the uh, super listeners of the show who have banded together and have a pretty insane daily chat that goes on. And whether it's talking about the show or non-show related things or just racing in general, they have a lot of fun. And so they got together for the first time uh, since I think the Prue Day was informally established. I don't know if there's an actual date of when it sparked to life, but uh, I believe this was their very first at the event meetup, which they did at the Indy Grand Prix. It's really fun to see some of the photos that they were uh, sharing. So thanks to all of them, John Wojnar, the Morell family, 
uh, Ryan Terpstra, Matt Philpot, so many of you who got together. Uh, it was really cool, really fun. I wish I could have been there with you. It's kind of crazy to have you know this amazing selection of IndyCar fans and listeners to the nonsense that I generate all get together and the big dummy couldn't be there in the middle. So apologies for that, y'all. Uh, hey, I got a little public service announcement for you. What is that? Well, we do these pretty much never on the show, but every now and then. But uh, hey, so not this weekend, but the following weekend in Indiana, in the lovely town of Plainfield, it's going to be the Indy Memorabilia Show. For those who know me or have listened to this podcast for a little while, you know that outside of my wife and our cats and just being at home with them and being a happily married person, uh, the thing that I love most is, well, okay, I also like WWE and I like basketball. and All right, there's a lot of things that I like. I really do love motor racing memorabilia, IndyCar memorabilia, sports car memorabilia, those are two things that just, oh, I'm telling you, they make me so happy. And so every year at the Indy 500, just right behind the Pagoda, I shouldn't say every year, but for the past many years, there's been the memorabilia show. Before that, it was at the uh, Indiana State Fairgrounds. Used to love going to that one. Well, plans changed this year. It's no longer being held on site at IMS. Uh, the show has also changed hands is in the hands of a, a new group putting it on. And they did something pretty amazing, which was seemingly moments after learning and having it confirmed that, no, uh, we're not going to be able to do a lot of the normal Saturday activities the day before the race. We're, uh, we're shutting all that down, all COVID-related. They scrambled and found a new place to hold the show. So... If you just want to learn about it, if you want to go, I know I've had a lot of folks ask about it. I would truly suggest hitting the good old Googles, the Googs. If you're a Facebook person, it's really super easy there. If you were to type in something like, I know, a little crazy, indie memorabilia show, you're going to get the flyer for it. It's going to pop up. It's going to tell you when and where and how. Uh, so, again, not this Friday, Saturday. But next Friday, is it Friday? I don't even know. Uh, maybe I'm even getting that part wrong. Uh, it's Friday and Saturday. I apologize. Uh, May 28th, Saturday, May 29th, Plainfield, Illinois, Embassy Suites Event Center. Um, it's five bucks to get in, whatever. They're, look, they're not going to make any real money on the show, but it's just one of those things that um, this is for me. It's totally selfish. Please go. Please go. Pay the admission. They say it's five bucks per person. Maybe you give them ten just to be nice. Keep it going so that this dummy you're listening to will have a show to go to next year and the years after when I can come back to the five hundred. Totally selfish request here. There's a lot of truth to that. A little kidding, but indie memorabilia show. Really hope you get to go check that out. It's my favorite part other than watching the car roll into victory lane and getting to celebrate the new winner. So please go, please go public service announcement. I'll do one more next week as we get a little bit closer to it, but it's just one of those cool kind of institutions of the 500 that even if you're not a big collector of stuff, 
you know, it does take support. It does take people coming out to participate for it to stay alive. So I hope that all of that goes well for them. So big thanks to them for uh, not letting it die, scrambling and coming up with what I'm told is a, a pretty awesome place for it to be held. So really cool there. Uh, what else can I tell you? Two other quick things. Hey, it's always fun to do the podcast and then get a text from a team owner a day or two later saying, hey, you moron, you kind of swung and missed on this one. So last week, one of the questions was, hey, when IndyCar teams run an extra car at the 500, how do they do that? Uh, more on the personnel side, how does that happen? I mentioned the range of options. Uh, sometimes it's full-time staff. Sometimes it's month of May only, you know, short time, come in, do it, go home. Sometimes it's a blend. Apparently I got things wrong, a little bit wrong, mostly wrong on Air McLaren SP with their third car for our pal Juan Monterrier. So when I saw that car running at Laguna, I thought I spotted at least two, maybe three people who I knew had other jobs and weren't certainly weren't full time. Apparently there's only one person. So uh, can't say I was 100% wrong, but look, when you're 99% wrong, does it really matter? Yeah, you're wrong. So uh, it's pretty much all full-time employees uh, who are touching the car and making it run, I think, except for one. So there you go. A little clarification from last week. Thanks to Sam Schmidt for the text. Uh, finally, you know what? I'm, we're just going to go. There's no finally. We're, we're just going to go. So a little, uh, little bit of music bed. Love the music bed. I think I need to change it for next year, though. I think with uh, three years in a row, that might be a bit much. So, okay. How long is the show going to be? I don't know. Uh, like I said, you sent in almost 6,000 6, words as I stumble with my S's. Uh, I am actually starting the show about two hours later than planned. It is uh, 7.03 p.m. right now on a beautiful Monday evening here looking out on the bay. Uh, looking out on the little mountain range and the little town, little hamlet, uh, I don't know, 15 miles away, 20 miles away of San Mateo, where yours truly was born. Um, so beautiful evening, but I don't want to go until midnight. So I don't know. I can't tell you how long it's going to be. I'm going to try and stop predicting that, but the goal is always to be about an hour and a half, maybe with a little bit of overtime. Uh, you're going to know because it'll say when I upload it how long it is. So we're going to get rolling here. Kevin DeVries, the Kevin DeVries. That's right. Internet famous Kevin DeVries kicks off the show. A couple of questions about some kid from Holland who was balling. Why am I singing? I have no idea. I'm not drunk. No alcohol. Only a little bit of coffee and some uh, alkaline water. There you go. Kevin says, it was only a matter of time before the young Dutchman made it to the top step of the podium. Do you attribute this year's performance leap, some changes in ECR's program, just more experience for Renus, or did he, takes, did he take Ed's comments to heart and improve his hashtag sponginess? Uh, let's see, a couple other good questions related here. I'll uh, get to those in a moment because they're unrelated to Kevin's. I, I think this is a bit of a uh, all-the-above answer, Kev. The team clearly was quick with Connor qualifying sixth, Renus in seventh. I mean, that's, you know, I realize that Renus was on pole last year, but uh, it's not often where we have seen, we're talking road course stuff, 
over the last couple of years where both Ed Carpenter racing machines are kind of in tandem on a road or street course. We've seen, again, we've seen a, wow, so-and-so did really good, but maybe the other not so much. When you see Renus and Connor locking down P6 and P7, that tells you that overall the team is in a very, very good place. Then you marry that with some great confidence at this track. You add in a year's worth of added maturity to Renus, and I'm not talking on the individual side. He's young, but he's always been very mature. Just race awareness, sport awareness maturity, a little bit more seasoned, less of a reason to worry about what's he going to do wrong that you normally assign to rookies, those in their sophomore seasons and whatnot. Just a general sense, and it was before we got to uh, the Indy GP for sure, Kev, that, hey, yeah, as a little different for Renus. Know that he had the crash at the open test. Okay, got it, whatever. But there's just been something a little bit different about him already in year two. And so, wow, you throw in nailing the race strategy. You throw in nailing those pit stops. And you throw in this kid who, man, his attacking driving style. We saw in the road to Indy, particular in Indy Lights, where you can drive the car a little bit more, I won't say sideways, but it'll take more aggression than some of the lower tiers. We saw some of that, right? You get some kids who are very talented in Indy Lights, and... A little bit of smoothness to their game is what you see. You don't see that just wringing the car's neck so much. That was Renus and Indy Lights. And what did he do on Saturday? Wow. When it was needing to make speed, needing to create a gap while he was on Reds and uh, Romain Groschon was on Firestones, uh, the non-Red banded, the black, the uh, primaries. When Renus needed to make time while Romain was exposed on the uh, primaries and not having a great time in traffic, the kid just put in the work. <laughs> pure, pure business mode, attack mode. And it was delightful to watch, not only when they showed it on the good old TV screen, but also looking at the lap times timing and scoring as it happened and i'd recommend that to all of y'all if you don't do it uh, and i realize some of you wa are watching the race on your phone or whatever so might not be super easy or fast to switch between screens but if you happen to be in a position whether it's sitting on a couch watching the race get a tablet get your phone get something make it a, a dual screen experience and pull up the uh, indycar timing and scoring it really does help to understand not only the speed at which the different drivers are going as they show each new lap time that comes up, but also how many pit stops they've made helps you to understand some of the strategy. Again, I know some of you are, you do that just saying for the rest of you, if you can, uh, that dual screen, or maybe you're a ninja with flipping between screens on your phone. I'm not, um, really does help if you can watch and also have the data there to help just grasp a little bit more 
uh, play a little bit of race strategist yourself. Doing that was just super revealing that, okay, this kid's on fire. (laughs) This kid is on fire, and there's something big happening. And I would say even more impressive knowing how amazingly sharp Roman's car was for the first, you know, 44 laps or whatever it was, went to primaries, car wasn't as crisp, the timing was off, that was the only strategery mistake from coin was going red, red primary instead of everyone else um, getting the primaries out of the way for the most part as soon as they could and being on reds the rest of the way. But this kid did some amazing stuff. And towards the when we got to the end with Romain on reds and Renus on reds, ah, boy, there sure wasn't a gap that was coming down. I know that it shrunk a little bit on the last lap, whatever. But just saying, look, uh, while he was needing to uh, hold him at bay, he did, no question. That's pretty darn amazing. So... I'd say this is just the evolution of him, Kev. And I would hope, crossing fingers and many other things, there are no meetings between young Renus VK and any of those walls at Indianapolis this month. I just hope he can have some great momentum continue to build upon this. See every now and then a young driver who gets a breakthrough win Maybe circumstances were perfect on that day instead of it being a reflection of their overall growth getting them to that place where they could win. I have no doubt that it was more of the latter for Renus. What I'd hate to see is a crash or something struggling at Indy and knock him and the program back a little bit as they try and recover compared to just being able to hold on to this. Uh, he and Ed, for sure, should be, and Connor as well, should be serious contenders for the Fast 9. Just love to see him make that step. Uh, Colton was able to do it. Pato was able to do it. Now in his second year, really hoping that we get to see that momentum coming off this big win just get cemented, Kev. I think that'd be a great thing uh, for him, but for IndyCar as well. Uh, Chuck Beck says, hello, MP. Curious on what VK's win does for the driver market later this year. Could he move on to Penske or could there be a shakeup at Andretti? Well, not a ton I can delve into here, Chuck, just out of pure ignorance. I have heard a couple things and, and I don't want to mention all of them because some of them are a little more revealing than others. And I can't tell you if they're all accurate. As I think I know, <laughs> as I think I know, Chuck, uh, I think Renus could be a very coveted driver by the end of the year. I would say that, and I'm just stating more generalisms, especially in younger driver contracts compared to the veterans, it's not uncommon to have some performance clauses in place, right? Especially when a team thinks they've got a good one but aren't totally sure. Uh, we see a lot of this in football in particular, where you go, cool, we signed so-and-so, and and if he lives up to expectations, he is going to be a wealthy person. And if he does not, it's not going to cost us much, and we're going to have no problem cutting bait, and it'll truly be 
not the least bit of a worry for us. And the question, I think, might be how much does Renus live up to all those expectations for the rest of the year? He's won. Now do we see two or three or four? I don't know. Uh, I can't tell you what clauses do or don't exist in his contract. I just know that with a number of young driver contracts over the years, there's a bit of a show and prove aspect to it. And if you perform well, it's not uncommon for teams to put in clauses that say, hey, if you do very well, yeah, you're, you're sticking with us. It's also not uncommon for the driver uh, to have clauses that say, hey, I think I'm awesome. I think I'm a future champion. And I think it'd be awesome to be that champion with you. But if you suck and you provide slow cars, cars that break, whatever, and that happens a lot, and I don't have those wins and podiums and solid championship finish, guess what? The contract tips in my favor and I can walk out the door. I don't know if that's the scenario here with Renus Chuck, truly. Just trying to lend some general things that I know of, have seen in the past uh, in such contracts. If he has one win and the rest of the year is not so great, um, is he able to say, eh, no thanks? Is the team able to say, no thanks? Possibly. If he has a successful close to the season, I don't know if he has to add another win or not, but you know, if he's beaten up the podium, uh, has a great finish in the championship. Does the team say goodbye? I think that'd be pretty dumb. So, and would he have the option to go? If, again, all this hypothetical stuff. Don't know. But I'd just say that if he, provided his contract has options for such things, if he's able to negotiate, renegotiate, I don't know if it's a one-year or a two-year, whatever. I believe he was signed to something new uh, for this season. But depending on length of term, the options that exist, how they do or don't get triggered, sometimes a win triggers, or multiple wins. Again, could whatever the threshold might be, triggers a, oh, we are going to get to hold you for a year or two or however long that option is because there's a, a kicker that says you did this, therefore... It's enabled. Just throwing out some generalisms here, Chuck, but what a great problem to have. Uh, do I think Renus could get another win? Yeah, I do. <laughs> Absolutely do. And what happens if he does that and all of a sudden there's some other teams that have been calling or start calling after that? I don't know. Uh, do we live in an era where one team would pay uh, a lot to get another driver. It seems like something a little more back in the day type deal. Wouldn't want to say it couldn't happen now, but you know, Hey, let me buy out the contract. What is it going to cost? Uh, I don't know if that really is IndyCar life in 2021. We'll tell you this before we move on to the next question to close the VK thread. I did have a driver manager who I respect an awful lot uh, uh, call. Reminds me, I need to call them back. Uh, call and say, whew, thought, uh, 
thought Pagano was going to be the big name hitting the uh, driver market once we got to the end of 21. I, I will say I don't believe that driver manager agent has any knowledge of Renus's contract. Uh, maybe might have just been an assumption. I think it's safe to say it was an assumption. But called to say, whoo, thought Pagano was going to be the big name folks are going after at the end of the year. Yeah, that might have just knocked Simon down to P2, uh, especially if Renus keeps doing what he's doing. So <laughs> I think Ed Carpenter has been fairly clear about, yeah, we don't exist to prepare drivers for Roger Penske or Chip Ganassi or Michael Andretti. Um, Joseph leaving at the end of 2016 led to what's been nearly a five-year dry spell in terms of winning. Do I think a hyper-competitive guy like Ed Carpenter on the track, off the track, in all aspects of his life, do I think Ed would make it easy for an emerging star like Renus to go to one of the big three teams? I do not. I absolutely do not. If I was Ed, unless I was financially crippled and needed the money from another team to let Renus out of his contract, which I don't think we, I mean, there's no reason to even suspect that'll ever be the case. I can think of no reasons for Ed to let him go. I think who he's staring at is someone who can deliver new garden-like performances over the next couple years. Not saying he's as good as Joseph, just saying he's showing us he's got something we need to pay respect to. Um, I am I am putting my hands together and going, yes, we have us a kid that we can absolutely do big things with and get Ed Carpenter racing back into the conversation at more races. So, yeah, maybe that puts Simon back in P1. I don't know, Chuck, but I do know I love this kind of stuff. Right, we're going to close here, and Robbie Berggren says, Marshall, continued prayers for you and your wife and lots of love for the cats. Thanks. Uh, let's see. Nope. Those little farts are somewhere else. Uh, so not joining in for this episode. Says, do you think Rena should continue to use VK or switch to his actual last name, then Countout? Uh, he says, I think it's silly in this day and age that a pro race car driver has to use a stage name because his last name is, quote, too hard for Americans to pronounce. He says, it's Van Countout. He says, uh, Kalechi Osemele uh, is like a Canadian for both ends with A's. Uh, and I just mispronounced it as well. So see, maybe, I'm sorry, maybe I'm uh, disproving your theory here. Uh, he says he plays the NFL and didn't change his name. That's my two cents. Hear ya. Uh, would just say that we're a few years too late for this conversation, Robbie. I would say even though he's only been in IndyCar now, uh, one year and five races, and now won a race... Uh, and thanks to our friend Peter Nutt, who sent along some uh, photos of various Dutch newspapers today that had uh, a lot of Renus VK content. Big, big newspapers as well. I mean, going to go Juan Montoya. It is what it is. Obviously, in the home front, uh, you know, VK is it's a nickname. 
um, while his full name is used, as it should be. Here, I mean, you wrote the name of a player who I'm familiar with, then added the uh, phonetic pronunciation of it, and I still got it wrong. So uh, I think Renus VK actually has a great ring to it. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with his proper name, but I think it's actually it's a good thing. Maybe I'm just going to go the opposite direction here, Robbie. We need more stage names. James Hinchcliffe? Got to get rid of James. It's too common. Um, Bodie. Bodie Mick Hinchface Hinchcliffe. That's where we're going. That's a hell of a stage name. Uh, I think we need more stage names, but what I really need is your suggestions on some of the drivers and what their stage names should be. And no, don't send it to me via DM or Facebook. Hit Twitter, where most drivers live, and uh, tag them and tell us what their stage name should be. So that way I can get a lot of curious calls and texts going, dude, what did you do in your podcast and why are people doing this to me? Uh, we're going to go to our pal, Ray Helmers. Why do I say Ray is our pal? Because he's sending in a question for the first time. Some of you know, there's just massive swelling of heart and emotion when dear listeners like Ray send in questions for the first time. He says, first time, long time. Great to see Romain Groschon win pole, mostly dominate the race and finish second this weekend. The fact that he could do this in a Dale coin car Against all the big teams is proof to hashtag me personally, the official hashtag of my podcast, uh, that IndyCar is far more of a driver series than any other series. So says, and Renus winning for Ed Carpenter just seems to further prove it. What says UMP? Well, I mean, come on, man. This is why we love this stuff, right, Ray? Totally agree. This is, uh, I try not to be too much of a homer when it comes to IndyCar, Right. I mean, it's my profession. I, I also cover sports cars, but, you know, again, there aren't many of us that do this, so it's my profession, and I love it, and but I'm also, I started out as a fan. Like, as I've shared before, whatever age I was, five, six, seven years old, laying on my grand, the carpet in the living room of my grandfather's house, listen, listening, because it wasn't broadcast on TV, listening to the Indy 500 on the radio. So I love this forever. And so I try not to be too big of a homer, uh, but I've struggled over the first five races because as I wrote in my little, uh, what do they call it? Cool down lap on racer. I just call it my brain dump stuff. This is insane, man. <laughs> this year's been insane, right? Hey, if you're a formula one fan, I love formula one. I have, I mean, I've loved it forever. Like really, truly since like the late 1970s when I was very, very young, uh, and there's been some amazing stuff that's happened, uh, for sure. And you look at who's won and who's been on pole and you go, yeah, I could kind of sort of tell you, uh, who's going to be on pole. One of three drivers will be on pole at the next race. And there's a range of about five or six who we think will be on the podium, but we could name three and be right almost every time. Hey, it's Lewis. Hey, it's Max. Hey, it's Valtteri. Cool, right? Again, sometimes it works out like that, but not a lot of mystery. It's more a question of who's going to win by or who's going to win by how much, 
and who's going to say the most silly things about how their winning car was the worst in the field and the person who didn't win had the better car and all that kind of mind uh, effery. Here, yeah, we don't have to worry about that. <laughs> Boy, do we not have to worry about that, Ray. So I love your your points here. Huge story about Romain. And look, like probably some of you, many of you, whatever, who also follow Formula One, Groschamp hasn't exactly been the guy or the man ever. Uh, too much of his career was polluted by constant whining and moaning and just, right, he's the guy who's going to complain about the brakes or he's the guy who's going to make the mistake, uh, right? Just not often living up to potential, even while at some not great, teams and or circumstances where you go, okay, man, realize that you have no chance of winning, but even so, come on, dude, you know, I don't know why the car went into the wall there, nor do you, um, but okay. So a little bit of a checkered formula one career, not coming over here as some sort of like, whoa, that guy was just a monster and wow, definitely highly talented though. And so where I love this Roma angle, as we have seen play out, if you strip away Bahrain, the big fiery crash, the big dramatic stuff, if you strip all that away as if it never happened and he just came over to IndyCar, I'd be really excited for him from the simple premise of now we get to strip away all the things that have complicated his life in Formula One and left him very unfulfilled with his overall F1 career. We no longer have to worry about the car, the engine, the brakes, the this, the that. We can just put him into a car, know that it is close to as good as the rest. Small team that he's driving for, got it. They don't have all the resources of the others, but hey, they look, that little team has won... <laughs> Uh, they've done a decent amount of winning, right? Uh, they've definitely upset the order plenty of times. So, okay, maybe he's not going to Penske, but we can say, Ray, for sure, this is a guy where he's been able to strip away everything that might be a, quote, excuse or limitation in F1. Just drive. Show us who you are. Show us who you believe you are but have not been able to be in some bad Formula One circumstances. So if you strip away all the fiery crash and barely survive, all that stuff, just straight up a driver feeling unleashed and free to show who he is. This would be a pretty amazing year already for Roma. Just on that alone, you go, well, yes, you're right. Let's forget the Formula Ones. Just look at you as a guy who's very talented and a champion at the European Indy Lights level. And, you know, just, yeah, man, you are good. You're really good. If you're in a bigger team, you'd be even higher up the order in the championship right now. But, yes, you're damn good. You were right. You were better than your equipment at so many races in F1. Super happy for him. Then you add in the, and you almost died, dude. 
I mean, wow. And you think about all of the, I saw the Lord's face in that fire type scenario, almost lost a family. I mean, all the worst case scenario things that we don't really even want to let ourselves think about when we're at the track running a driver, even writing stupid stories about it. We always know that stuff is possible, but you can't let it swim in your mind. You'd be paralyzed. So you add that layer on top and I, yeah, man, we got to see, got to see him drive, drive freely and show us who he is. And this is a phenomenally talented driver. Um, we got to see someone with all the added layers of emotion and fulfillment, Ray, that came from being on pole, leading half more than half the race, and ultimately finishing second. That's the beautiful stuff that we saw. So, look, he was a little more hapless in Formula One than he would like, anyone would have liked. I know he'd like things to be a little bit cleaner if you look back through all those races. But look, (laughs) this is a great scenario for him to become more than he has ever been. That's what I love about this American adventure of his. We try and do this as often as we can. Uh, Reinvent yourself. Become that new you, that idealized version of yourself. All right. I mean, hey, (laughs) I don't spend a lot of the show talking about myself uh, all the things that I've done. I mean, this we don't spend a lot of time doing that because that's not what this show is about. I can tell you, uh, reinvention's been a constant theme throughout my life. There have been so many scenarios that are parallel to romance where you go, yeah, I had this cool job doing this thing and racing or whatever else, and boy, I didn't get the most out of it. Boy, I, I had some serious failures in scenarios that I shouldn't have, boy, I did not live up to my potential here or there. Maybe I need to try and do something a little different, go somewhere else or do just give something a little bit different, a try or add a twist to it that I haven't before and see if that helps. Uh, I've had a lot of these moments like Romain. So I, I guess that's why I can appreciate what he has come from and where he has come to now. Still got to win that first race. Still got to do a lot of other things. Hopefully he'll add ovals into his future full-time. Maybe, hopefully, he has piqued the interest of some team owners as well. Talking about that silly season, I don't know what his contract is with Coin and Rick Ware. Just saying, uh, wouldn't it be awesome for Romain to get that call, if he hasn't already, from a Roger, a Chip, a Michael, a whomever? Uh, a Zach, a Sam, a blah, 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 and say, hey, so you, race cars, driving them for us in the future. Uh, what do you think? Wouldn't that be a pretty darn cool? Last little thing just to, to throw in. You're always going to have the, yeah, but he was garbage in Formula One. And he wasn't garbage. But again, definitely could have achieved a lot more. Always going to have those people. Uh, some of the most opinionated, least knowledgeable people that I see posting on social media uh, happen to call themselves experts of Formula One. And 
a lot of those voices will continue to say whatever Romad does, it's all just a fluke. Uh, it's all because of IndyCar being less competitive than F1, blah, blah, blah. Look, uh, don't care about what people say on social media. Our eyes are telling us the truth. Driving for one of the smallest teams with the smallest budget and the least amount of money committed to a R&D engineering program in the series was able to just put that dang thing on pole, lead more laps than anybody, and finish second. Uh, in F1, as they tell us frequently, as the drivers tell us frequently, as long as you're good, not necessarily great, if you're in a great car, good driver, great car scenario, you're going to go to the front. Here, uh-uh, doesn't happen. Ain't happening. Uh, love Dalton Kellett. Told you that many times. Um, you put Dalton Kellett in a Penske, Andretti, Ganassi, whatever, Dalton Kellett's not winning a race. Not because he's a bad person or lacks talent, but he doesn't have enough talent to go beat Scott Dixon in an equal car ever. It's how the world created various drivers. Uh, some are better than others. Uh, this is not a series where a Romain Grosjean, especially in a smaller team, can just magically run to the front. No. The car's not doing it for him. The circumstances aren't doing it for him. This is skill married with an amazing race engineer in Olivier Boisson coming together and getting it done. Minus one position. But now, what do we think? My prediction about, oh, yeah, I think you might have some podiums later in the year, and who knows? Yeah, whatever, Pruitt, you freaking moron. We can rightfully expect Romain Grosjean to be in the fast six and win a race at every road and street course we go to for the rest of the year. How awesome is that, Ray? And thanks for sending this in. And guess what? We're not done with first-time questionnaires. James Malloy. How you doing, James? Marshall, new listener here. Just wondering what your thoughts are on the idea of CBS Sports being, quote, likely to land the IndyCar package and what that could mean for IndyCar says, as reported by Adam Stern, I believe, uh, the, is it the Sports Business Journal? Um, thank you for asking this, James. I almost included a section on this in my little brain dump, cool down lap, whatever you call that stupid thing that I write after the races. I almost included uh, a little segment there, but the brain dump thing was long enough to where I said, said I got to cut me some words. Um, I'm just looking at it right now because I wonder if I should just read it to you. Uh, but it's not finished. A uh, couple of quick things here. When I read things from the Sports Business Journal related to IndyCar, I won't name names, but there's one really good source that a fair amount of us know at IndyCar that is often feeding that information. It's a good thing. It's not a, nothing negative. We all have our sources who tell us things. Uh, it's rare that we all have the same sources telling us the same thing. So everybody has their 
couple of folks who, you know, call them high value uh, sources. When I read something coming across the lines from Sport Business Journal and whatnot, I rarely say garbage, nonsense, uh, fluffery, whatever. No, I assume that this is coming from a serious place of knowledge from inside the empire. So share that up front, James, because I want, you know, just be really clear that in reading that, um, I was left with no doubt that there was something, uh, something real. Was then asked to, hey, so this is important. Uh, we should be reporting on this as well. Said, yeah, I totally agree. Let me start doing some of that conversating and talking with folks. And by and large, um, lots and lots and lots off the record. Asked to speak with the person at the Empire, who I believe to be the person sharing said information, person declined. And I'm, they, it might not have been that person. Totally, again, you get asked, you do, you think you know who it is, person declines, told by someone else, uh, I hear you, don't think it's this person this time at least. So, okay, fair enough. Um, do a lot of other outreach here, James. And my report back was, I can write something. I don't know if we need to, though. And why is that? Heard a lot of really positive things on background from real people, not jokers, not, you know, hey, my third uncle, sure, third uncle twice removed, heard this from so-and-so at the bar. But again, real questions asked of real people. Um, the stuff that I got back was all making me feel pretty warm and fuzzy about NBC and the possibility of that relationship continuing when the contract ends. So I am by no means disagreeing with what was written about CBS and CBS Sports Network being a good possibility uh, for IndyCar to call their new home. I don't know if enough emphasis was placed on the fact of how much NBC has come through for IndyCar this year. We have 17 races Nine of them are on network, more than half. Like, <laughs> I'm I'm really, truly struggling to remember the last time that that was the case. And I've watched IndyCar racing for many years. And yeah, it's been a long time since more than half. Like, what was the struggle for most of the 2010s? It was, hey, we got three, we got five, we got what, like, you know, the feeling of getting it up to seven or whatever the number was, was like, oh my God. We won the lottery. It'll never be better than this. Then you go, yeah, actually, we're going to make it better than that. We're going to put more than half your races on big network. Granted, haven't been an outrageous number of viewers for any IndyCar race so far this year, but what does NBC's commitment to IndyCar by putting it on the biggest channel it has which will give it the biggest possible ratings for more than half the year? Well, it answers that big, big question and problem that team owners have been railing about for a while now, and that is, 
I realize streaming's important. I realize everything's going mobile, and I realize all those things where the future is taking us. But right now, the business structure in place for advertising and sponsorship value is based still on ratings and eyeballs. How many people watch your sport? How many? If I give you money, you put my name on your car. This is a little bit old school mentality, but just let's be really basic with this. If I give you money and you in turn put the name of my company on your car, how many people, what's the potential audience for folks to see that? Forget everything else about whether it's a good team bet. Just, hey, how many people are out there waiting to potentially see it compared to my giving that money, name whatever it is, a golfer, uh, or whatever, some other sport that might have a higher or does definitely have higher potential audience delivery. And that's been the problem for many years now. Look, the ratings keep going up, but it's still a small number and it's not a huge audience. And so it's getting harder and harder to sell sponsorship, to sell value, to convince sponsors. Yes, this is a great thing. There's a lot of people at home that will watch it. What's the one way you game the system? Well, your network television partner says, cool. I realize the ratings might not be explosive and do wonders for us, but we're going to put more than half your races on TV on big network where you're going to get the best audience we can offer anywhere. Something we have to just really acknowledge here. I don't know if IndyCar's ratings on NBCSN, uh, I don't know if they warrant a lot of network time. I want it to, but again, we got to be honest. IndyCar's not exactly putting up giant numbers on NBC's cable sports channel. Usually in those situations you don't then get much time on network. So despite, I would say, not delivering the numbers to warrant that big bump, they're getting the big bump. And it's helping the teams. It's adding value. We're seeing positive growth in a lot of areas. You throw that away? Huh. You go, well, hey, well, what if CBS or ABC or name whatever else, Fox, is going to put you on TV a bunch, network TV a bunch? Okay, maybe. Um, I know CBS in particular is a lot of golf. I mean, that that's their big thing. Rocky's here. Hey, buddy. Um, that's their thing. And, yeah, there's a lot of golfing going on at the same time on Sundays as IndyCar races. Uh, yeah, uh, makes me wonder CBS SN, as many of you have said already. Yeah. It's kind of a unicorn. We're told it exists. Never seen it. <laughs> Don't get it. Uh, it's not an option. It's also a place I would say that, uh, has some great racing on it. It's kind of the, the, cable island of misfit racing toys amazing stuff right and you get your dtm and you get your trans am i think i think it's still there 
what else you get formula e and you get some of the british touring car i think might be there's all these things where you go yeah remember back in the day on speed channel where you'd get like big stuff but then there was always this fun kind of undercurrent of kind of second and third tier championships cbs sports network has become that home for racing series that i'm not not exclusive not all of them were this way but racing series that had significant network deals and have fallen out of favor and couldn't really sign something with a comparable network. So, hey, you're on CBS SN, which is watched by nobody. I don't know if it's still the case, but I know as, as of not too many years ago, they didn't even have Nielsen ratings. It was such an afterthought of a channel that they didn't bother paying the Nielsen people to have ratings provided for their content. Maybe that's changed. Hopefully that's changed. Just given a little bit of background here that I don't know what's waiting for IndyCar at CBS. It may be awesome. It really may. But I don't know if it is because it seems like the one thing they do a lot of is either football uh, a, that's a very seasonal thing, but a lot of golf, which seems to go on for a long time. That's, that's their jam. Are they going to bust that up for IndyCar? Uh, I don't know. Are they going to chuck it over to CBS SN and deliver a 0.00004 rating for IndyCar teams, sponsors, and whatnot who go, nope, not why I'm here. Uh, ain't going to be here. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, truly nobody has the channel seemingly I've had it forever, by the way, but just taking what I've been told, a lot of people don't have it. And I know for sure a lot of people don't watch it. So how many IndyCar teams are hearing, Hey, we might be going to CBS and there could be a CBS sports network aspect and them pooping their pants because it, it just, it destroys their businesses because they have nothing to offer when they're on that cable channel to their sponsors. It's a huge, huge thing we have to acknowledge here. Um, there's been some, yeah, but hey, CBS and Paramount Plus, and it's a great streaming platform. I get it. We subscribe to it at home for five bucks a month or whatever it is. Truly enjoy it. We've recently been watching uh, some of the old MTV The Challenge an all-star type uh, stuff, don't judge us, okay? <laughs> we love it, though. I don't know why. We're grown-ass adults, and we're watching this stuff. That is so stupid, but it's so entertaining, and it requires a non-functioning brain, which is where the value is found. But, yeah, cool. So they have a really awesome streaming platform. That's, that's true. That's good. Is that the reason to leave NBC? NBC has Peacock. I... I won't pretend to love it. Uh, it, It's player is wonky as heck, and you can't fast forward or pause or go back or whatever. I mean, there's a lot of limitations with it. I get it. That can be improved. But are you going to pitch everything they're doing over Peacock being kind of garbagey? I don't think so. It's a business. Got to think about the teams. So just to close this thing and move on here, James, and thanks again for sending this in. I really was hoping someone would. Um, 
the main item that stands out here is this. All I've heard, I think I might have read it somewhere as well, but I know I've heard it for a while, is the Empire wants a bump, a significant bump in money from their next TV partner. And whether the next TV partner is their current TV partner or a different one, they're looking for a hike in income for having their racing series. And I get it. I love the idea of it. If there's value to put behind it to say, and we believe we should get this extra money that we aren't getting right now, I would totally understand that thought process. But at what cost? If Penske Entertainment is bringing in more money, and in theory, maybe could pass some of that down to teams by enriching the leader circle. Some of that TV money gets passed down to the team, so you get a couple extra hundred thousand dollars a year. Great. Add it on to your leader circle. But what if sponsors say, oh, so you're getting a bump in your leader circle, but we're getting a freaking crater in terms of audience and value. So we're not going to be your sponsor anymore. Not because we don't like you, but because some folks chose a bigger payout from the broadcasting company than putting us in front of as many eyeballs as possible. I'm not saying Penske Entertainment would do that. I'm just saying I've heard they want a bump. Is that a bump that NBC Sports can handle? I hope. I really don't want them to leave because I think what they have is good in building and getting better. Uh, Having to rebuild somewhere else where, again, it's football, it's primarily golf, and then, okay, maybe we'll take on this racing thing. But, yeah, there are going to be a lot of weekends where we're not exactly able to accommodate you. So, uh, welcome to uh, not a lot of people watching you. Um, you got to hope that that's not what ends up happening. You know, it's also not uncommon as a negotiating tactic, James, for the folks who are looking for a better deal to mention they're thinking about going somewhere else to hope the current partner uh, is listening and paying attention. And if they are worried about risking loss, say, okay, maybe we could sweeten the deal a little bit more. You know, just some other things to think about here. Uh, Why now? Why this timing right before the month of May or Indy 500? when more eyeballs are on the series than anyone else, when more discussions about next year are taking place, then, you know, big, big meetings with a lot of big people at the giant event of the year. You know, timing's interesting for sure. So not doubting the veracity of the reporting, just saying have to think about some of the other reasons why we might be reading this right now. Is there a bit of strategery uh, from one side trying to get more out of the one they're with right now again could be don't know can't tell you for sure uh the thought that nbc sports which is shutting down nbc sn at the end of the year maybe trying to get rid of indycar get rid of uh you know dial down their motorsports they do have contracts with nascar with imsa through 2024 so that's about a million races right there 
not going anywhere. Motorsports isn't going away by any means on NBC. So that's kind of a little bit of a, a false narrative that I've read, not in the story, but some others theorizing a bit. So as I can tell from those that I spoke with, um, it's very possible that IndyCar could leave NBC for CBS or another network. I've only heard that IndyCar is looking for more money. Would say that if I was on the negotiating side, I'd probably be sharing information like this with some influential folks. Yeah, hey, we're thinking about going somewhere else, uh, or there's a good possibility. Um, it's a pretty smart tactic right there. Um, we'll see where this ends up, James. But based on what I received from all the uh, the calls and texts and otherwise, uh, I just came back to a place of I can write the story, but I don't think it's as... Uh, yeah, boy, we're headed towards a divorce. Maybe not a done deal, but boy, we're getting close to this just being a done deal. Um, not totally sure that we're at that place that warranted it. So, uh, said, Hey, not going to file that story. Uh, if y'all agree, they agreed. And here we are. Where are we going next? Thanks again, by the way, James, uh, hope we have lots more questions from you. Uh, we're going to go to Rob Ball, MP. Which of these is a bigger surprise to the first five races? Four different teams have won at least one race or the fact that Penske has not won? I think it's the different teams side. More maybe even the different drivers. Like Aaron McLaren SP winning with Pato, not a surprise. Knew that was going to happen. Didn't think it was going to be at Texas to be the first, but... Knew they were coming, knew that was going to happen. Ganassi winning, not a surprise. Andretti winning, not a surprise. Ganassi winning as well with Pelot. Uh, driver side, a little bit of a surprise, right? Not thinking Alex was going to do that right out of the gate for them. I think I'd have to put it more on the, the driver side, team side that you mentioned than Penske. Why? Yeah, again, it's a, it is a definite surprise that Penske has not won. Eh, their drivers are doing okay in the championship. Uh, they've been fast. They've been on the podium a lot. New Gardens third, Pagano seventh, McLaughlin's eighth, Powers ninth. There's that cluster that, of course, you wish they wish they'd be a few more positions up, but they'll get there. Um, not too shocked though that they haven't won. No question that they could absolutely win the Indy 500 here in a little under two weeks. So it's going to happen soon. I uh, would say that part's inevitable. So I'm just going to air with the uh, the variety of young new drivers, young drivers, you name it, uh, getting the job done early in the season. Uh, Richard Hinshaw, MP. Uh, let's see. What an incredible start to the 2021 season. Um, let's see. Just trying to look here. Oh, you're talking about blue flags. Says uh, Groshaw had some interesting post-race comments about push to pass. He wondered if lapped cars should be restricted from using the extra boost when they're defending against cars that are on the lead lap. Says maybe the use of push to pass could be allowed for lapped cars while they're receiving uh, a blue flag. Disallowed. I think I said allowed. Disallowed. Is that even feasible? I'm very intrigued by this idea that could allow for cars in the lead lap to more effectively chase down their next competitor could yes could there be i mean all the cars have gps 
uh, tracking on them. If I think I don't remember whose car it was. I think it was during opening practice, second practice session uh, on Friday. One of the car was it Montoya maybe had their little GPS transmitter flapping around, uh, and it sits on a little shelf uh, right behind the roll hoop. So uh, that's how, if you're watching, I think, on the IndyCar app, but we also see sometimes in the broadcast, you see the the circuit map, and you see all the cars moving around in real time, little colored dots and whatnot. That's how they know who's where and how things are moving around. It's all GPS-based information. Would it be possible through... I think it'd have to be automated because it's not like there are enough people in race control and enough cameras to have every corner, everything going on to know what's happening between lapped car, uh, car in the lead lap and so on, and kind of turn things on and off. I think it would have to be automated. Some sort of proximity. I don't know what the number is. A lap, a car in the lead lap gets within three seconds, five seconds of a car that is showing one lap down on timing and scoring. And within that threshold, there is a uh, through GPS signal back to push to pass. Again, I'm, I don't know if all this is possible in my brain. It is because, you know, my brain thinks I'm smart. Uh, some sort of deactivation there, you know, is that how you do it? And when the car, the lead lap car is whatever the number is, X amount of seconds up the road, uh, and in theory, clear, uh, well clear than that lapped car can play with push to pass again, unless there's someone else on the lead lap trying to get by. Could something like that happen? Possibly. I think I'm sure. Right. I mean, look, uh, if Skynet can become self-aware and, uh, terminators are coming in the future, something we all know to be a fact, I'm sure we could do this as well. Do I think this would possibly be a little bit wonky and we'd probably have more than one lapped driver complaining about how uh it stayed deactivated or it didn't it didn't activate the deactivation and they were able to use it and got yelled at or penalized like do i think this could become an issue knowing that in most races we have at least a couple drivers who get lapped who then are still getting overtaken by a lot of cars. And there's just by number a pretty big multiplication factor here where things could go wrong. I do. So I hear you. I don't know if we need to go technology here or if we need to go more draconian on get out of the way. Um, it's a little situational too. This is where, you know, again, I don't know if the automated approach here to cutting off push to pass is the thing, but it's one thing where you've got a driver who's two laps down on an oval and it's earlyish in the race, as we've seen many times through caution periods and good strategery, get the lap backs, laps back, so on and so forth kind of realizing here that we don't use push to pass on the oval, so I don't know why I'm using that reference, but just know that there are situations where a driver that might be lapped on a road course is actually a very fast car, fast driver, and capable of getting on to the lead lap at some point in time 
and probably improving their day. Realize that's a actual smaller percentage thing that happens, but it does exist as a possibility. <sighs> then you start adding those caveats. Well, hey, this is name the driver. Will Power, and he just got lapped because, you know, something the happened in a pit stop. We know that Will Power on a normal day can charge past whomever is leading. And again, with a yellow, with a this, with a that, can probably get back into a decent position. In that scenario, do you say, sorry, Will, you win a lap down and you're now just kind of sort of tainted for the rest of the race? Anytime a leader comes near you, boop, no push to pass, can't defend, can't whatever, you're done. Whatever the bad thing that happened to you, we're taking away the one tool that really does help make drivers pass and go forward and gain time uh, beyond their own driving. I don't know. I think this just leaves me in a place where I say, if we're sucking at lapped drivers not giving up the position to the leaders, we need to evaluate who it is in the situation that's happening. And at that point in time, since we have radio communications, cell phones that could be picked up, uh, SMS texting that can go directly to and from timing stands. I think this is a case that might just need to continue to be managed, but maybe managed more aggressively if problems are cropping up between race control and the uh, team and driver and drivers in question. Um, Brett Keys. Hey, MP. Hope you, the wife, and the cats are well. I am. Rocky's staring out the window. and Boy, he's happy. So I was gutted and ticked off for Connor Daly on Saturday. ECR obviously had a great setup and lots of speed. In your opinion, was there anything he could have done differently at the start to avoid a dive bomb by Simon Pagano? Not that I saw, Brett. In those scenarios, you just got to feel for those who get hit by others because... Unless it's a case of the guy behind me is a tragedy, just a rolling tragedy is always running into people, ruining their days. And he's right behind me. And we're at the Indy GP where there's this big high speed start. And then we all funnel down into this really tight turn. And yeah, and people run into each other all the time. Every year this happens. And the guy who's the worst at making those hits happen is right behind me. In that scenario, do you go, oh, do I give up a little something here in the start? Do I pull over, <laughs> let them by, and maybe, you know, not get right back in because you don't want to get caught up in their, their accident trail. But in those very rare scenarios where a driver might be towards the back and realizing that just a total tragedy of a driver is near them, that's probably going to ruin their day. You might go, look, I'm starting 23rd. This guy's behind me in 25th, whatever the number is. And yeah, I'm just going to let him go. <laughs> I'm going to be better served by hanging back two seconds and drive through without getting hit. Yeah, that, that happens once every couple of years at most, Brett. So in this scenario... We have Simon Pagano, not known for constantly knocking people around. Doesn't have a big reputation as, oh, that boneheaded thing that he did that affected the other driver. 
I can't think of anything Connor should have done differently. Uh, Simon outbraked himself, made a mistake, domino effect, uh, ruined Connor's race, and sent Graham Rahal, a grumpy Graham Rahal, uh, on what proved to be the drive of the race uh, outside of the top two. Um, the, the race within the race, Graham Rahal won that. Thanks to Simon Pagano and beat him uh, to the checkered flag as well. So that was pretty cool. If I'm Connor and I am given another chance to redo the start as if the first one never happened, we can just, hey, Connor, we can hit the rewind button, do the start over, and whatever you choose, uh, it's totally up to you. But you have the hindsight that Pagano might lock up a break there. I don't know really what else he does. Because I didn't see him go, I didn't see a lot of like, oh, hey, this is wide open, but I decided not to go there. Um, I think it's just one of those accepted collateral damage things that indie road course, turn one, pretty much every year has one or two drivers in this scenario, if not more. And it could be a big kerblamo, golden bowling ball parts and stuff flying everywhere it could just be a little knock have we ever and maybe it's happened once or twice and i've forgotten but have we ever gotten through turn one at the start without at least one car onto the grass um it feels like there's always something so in this case it's connor simon it's graham only one of them paid uh, a big penalty for it and it just sucks i mean guys home race stepdad's the president of the joint and i realize that they got the car back together and going and whatnot but really best ever qualifying on a rota street course and yeah dude parked on the grass like 10 seconds was it even 10 seconds into the race which leads to the next question from our pal Brian at 500 Indy 1911. You know, some of you should tell me if you want me to also read your social media handles. Can't read all of them. Some of them are a little too colorful for my like, but I tend to just go with your names. But if you want me to add in your social media handles, whatever it might be, uh, I can do it. Just uh, y'all, enough of y'all need to tell me to do it, and I happily will. Uh, it says IndyCar officials talk about the uh, needle of responsibility at drivers' meetings. And Simon Pagano arguably was responsible for Daly's bad finish. Having said that, maybe they know lap one, turn one, the IMS road course invariably causes havoc, uh, making contact almost unavoidable. A lot of you sent in stuff about this. So uh, we're just using Brian's as the representative question for, I don't know, a thousand of the 6,000 words on the subject. So, the majority of the others, Brian, phrased it as, what the hell? Why wasn't Pagano penalized? What's the deal? So obvious. I don't know. Haven't spoken with race director Kyle Novak. I know that Kyle is the race director, not necessarily judge, jury, and executioner, or pardoner. Uh, he has a driver panel that, that susses those things out for him. Um, haven't checked in with them. I don't know why. Maybe I should have expected a lot of questions on it. But anyways, failure there on my end. 
had a similar response. Hopefully, many of you know by now, I'm not a big penalty guy. I, I'm not a, oh my God, the rule book needs to be thicker when it comes to driving standards and all kinds of stuff. Uh, I'm not that guy. But I do have, I think, what could be described as the same sense of fair play described in so many of your questions about this. And I think it comes back to this item. Basic, basic item. If you and I are racing hard, and while racing hard, nose to tail, side by side, whatever it is, there's some contact, and one of us goes off, has some damage. There's a disadvantage. I view that differently, and I think many of you do as well, from, hey, I just made a big mistake and ruined your race, right? Bit of a bonehead thing, not necessarily hard fisticuffs, back and forth, boxing match type thing, and you know, oops, I knocked you out, but actual like, whoopsie, (laughs) Uh, locked up, uh, did the golden bowling ball routine, knocked Connor out of the race, did damage to Ray Hall, and he had to go back to the pits for repairs and whatnot, but truly, my just kind of, oops, sorry, hee hee hee, kind of mistake screws you and your day, I view that very differently. So the whole needle of responsibility, right? Uh, You could say, well, how's that different? If someone's, you know, trying to outbreak someone and dive bombs them and they come together at the apex and, okay, that's a scenario to look at. You go, all right, let's figure out what happened here. Did the driver trying to make the overtaking maneuver, and I'm just talking two cars by themselves, two drivers fighting hard over a position. Is that person trying to make the pass, ducking out, doing that late dive bomb thing that ended in contact, that ended up, you know, whatever, disadvantaging the other driver? Was there a chance? Right? Were they? Was there no hope? Oh my gosh! You waited so late to break; it was never going to happen. It's a lot different than yeah. Two of you are scrapping hard. Nobody made a mistake in you know when they tried to break or, or you know they didn't mess up from a steering standpoint. None of that. Just you guys are scrapping hard, going at it, and yeah, some contact happened, and that sucks. Sucks for the person who's disadvantaged but it was a natural, normal thing in the heat of battle. No penalty. I get that. The person who got spun out or whatever is going to be pissed. The team's going to scream bloody murder. I get that. In many of those scenarios, I can understand why a penalty would not be applied. There's somewhere, again, it should. Dude, it's never going to happen. What are you thinking? Absolute penalty. That was dumb. I take that a little bit differently than, hey, uh, don't be that guy. Don't be that guy going into turn one at Indy, right? Uh, this happens every year. And, you know, can, going back to one of the other notes, you know, is it inevitable? It doesn't have to be, but when you miss your breaking point, when you knock a couple of cars out, one of them 
truly out. And the other one, all right, you're going to go through hell today to try and get back. When I look at something like that, I say, you know, there was no passing going on there. That was just a, oops, yeah, man, I screwed up. And you paid for it. And I didn't. I look at that a lot differently. So heat of battle and competition, driver on driver, isolation, add some isolation to that interaction there. Hey, they're going at it, wheel to wheel. This thing happened. A little easier to judge. Dumb mistake, penalty. I realized that other guy got hosed, but boy, you two are going at it, and that's the result sometimes. No penalty. Uh, I can get with that. Something like this where you go, yeah, dude, I don't know what happened there, but you obviously didn't do it intentionally, but the fact is you ruined one guy's race and the other one was affected by it. Uh, we don't want you to anyone to be that guy. You chose to be that guy, whether you meant to or not. Uh, uh, we're going to need to bring you in here and have you do a drive-through or something like that. I would have been totally fine with that. Do you flip it the other way, which race control, I would guess, obviously saw it and say, this happens all the time. I mean, how does it not happen? You know, is Pagano a guy who's always doing this? If if he's the guy who's always hitting folks and knocking them out in turn one, bring him in. He, he's built up. He's got enough bad credit. He definitely needs to get hit uh, by those in charge in race control. I could see why they didn't go that direction, but I could also, I would not have been grumpy either way. I did, again, think like, man, he just ruined the guy's race for no reason. I know it wasn't on purpose, but at the same time, if he's paying the price for your mistake, just unnecessary mistake, not truly, oh boy, these two are duking it out, and oh boy, it happened there, in the way that it happened, uh, I kind of thought there might have been a visit to pit lane, but um, there wasn't. So that's the best I can offer. Uh, and it might be garbage, but that's the best I can offer. Uh, let me see. Uh, where are we going next? Time to mash the throttle a little bit. Uh, let's see. Jared Burcham, Marshall, which team or driver will go full Ricky Bobby and be the first to, quote, sell the windshield? And what sponsor should it be? Oh, I know this is meant to be a funny one, my friend. And I, yeah, there's part of me that wants to answer it in a funny ha-ha. But I also am aware of one entry that truly would sell the space on the arrow screen or its side pods or anywhere else. But yeah, would certainly sell the space on their, quote, windshield uh in order to have a more secure possibility of uh, participating in all of the indy 500 uh including getting to qualifying and such so um and i'll refrain from naming that team stand an offer hey as we often do uh happy to put a story together about the need uh robin's done that a thousand times uh i've done it i know many others have hey team's struggling uh they could use some help any sponsors out there that might want to step up and more often than not they do i'm not saying like trillions of dollars but um yeah uh haven't heard that team uh, express an interest in receiving help there so i'll just leave their name alone so we've got to come back to connor daly right he would totally do this 
Um, and it might just be a picture of his face and it could have me on it. Very Ricky Bobby style. Uh, maybe it's Connor's face on the cougar, right? I think that's who it should be. So there you go. Uh, let's see. Fine disregard from Reddit. Hey, Marshall, last week's sliding doors question on Paul Tracy got me thinking. Is there a performance screw up or otherwise from recent seasons that went under the radar uh, at the time that we'll look back on as a sliding doors moment for a driver or team? For example, is there someone who wouldn't be in the series today without an inconspicuous 12th place uh, that the rest of us missed or weren't looking out for? Ooh, wow. That's a great question that I am totally unprepared to answer with immediacy. Let me look through our current field to see if any names jump out here. I apologize for a little bit of the uh, the silence here, but uh, hey, it be what it is. Um, eh, not there. No, no, no. Well, how's this? Uh, you might have read this. And I might just be regurgitating something that's well known. But I do know that I've had both Tim Sindrick and Roger Penske tell me that Joseph Newgarden's approach to that pretty scary crash with Connor at Texas in 2016 was really a defining moment for them as to whether they wanted to go forward and pursue him. I can't tell you if they were already pursuing him and they're giving me a little, you know, jobbing me a little bit here, but. They both said that, yeah, we knew the kid was quick and he's, you know, getting some race wins and all that, but the grit that he had after crashing, breaking his finger, and fighting back right away, like, weird to say. And I still think they would have ended up going after Joseph, again, if they weren't already. But uh, weird to maybe think that his crash and whatever way the heck down finish uh, or place there. Uh, where he was when that happened. Um, and I think there was a rain out that year. But anyways, that incident was just mentioned as something that for Roger and for Tim cemented the fact that, oh, this kid's a gamer. He's, you know, he's not going to be crying and, you know, uh, getting a triple cast put on his hand and, oh, I'm done or you know, count me out, bring in someone else. But really that, oddly enough, uh, they have both described to me as serious, serious demonstration that this kid is someone they could count on and know that he was fully invested in succeeding for the team and himself in the face of you know real adversity, physical adversity. Uh, I thought that was pretty cool. Crash, get a job with the biggest team in the sport. Um, maybe I should go crash into stuff. Uh, Branch Ricky Farms and the Barrel Grip says, after the Indy Grand Prix, does David Malukas have the Indy Lights Championship? says, uh, then you mentioned Devlin DeFrancesco as uh, likely to land an Indy car. Can you elaborate on why? says, if 2022 is draft style, who's your top pick right now? Uh, let's see. I'd say Malukas has definitely stepped up for sure. Uh, spent probably all totaled, I don't know, a half hour on the phone with uh, HMD, GRG, LS, MFT, General Manager Mike Marini for a little story that hopefully I'll get done here Tuesday or Wednesday, just about their big 
year to year rise. And I realize that the GRG side is new to them, but HMD was a very good team. Uh, and I say year to year, kind of referring back to 2019, of course, we had no light season last year, but in terms of successive seasons, it's a pretty significant jump in competitive competitiveness for HMD. And so just wanted to get some insights on that from Mike. So he gave us some great stuff. So uh, I think Malukas has something. I know that he's currently won a couple races this season, leading the points and whatnot. I'm going to want to see more of it in person because it's still a little bit hard to grasp how big the jump has been. Uh, so not doubting it, but just one of those things where I want to quantify it with my own eyes to grasp it. Cause having seen him come into lights, there was nothing that said to me, this kid's going to be winning multiple races early in a season and leading the championship. Um, but how awesome is it that he is? And he's giving us a reason to step up, you know, saying it with his chest. So, yeah, I love that. Uh, Devlin, his family, his dad, number one fan and supporter. Uh, They're very fortunate to be very successful in business. And as is often the case from Ayrton Senna to a lot of folks who had amazing careers comes from a supportive family successful family that can say yep uh this is where we're going to go next and so they have been very clear in saying we do intend to go to indycar with devlin when he is ready and that's about the most awesome thing you could ask for right the great thing and i realize devlin's still learning making some mistakes a lot of stuff that he's learning here for the first time um the kid's got real talent Am I saying he's going to be IndyCar race winning champion and all that? I don't know, but I can, Hey rock. I can tell you that the kid has talent to work with. He's got a great work ethic, a great personality and fun. Just his dad is a riot. So I'm looking forward to everything related to Devlin being an IndyCar. And if he were to stay in lights for two years, wouldn't break my heart. I think he would be, uh, a stronger championship contender, not as a rookie this year, but as a sophomore. So one way or the other, there are plans for him to be an IndyCar driver, and that's pretty spectacular. Um, if we're talking draft, if anybody is not drafting Linus Lundqvist P1, they're silly, very very silly. Uh, we, by we, I mean I, also know that many others did as well. Expected fellow Lights rookie Kyle Kirkwood to be kicking ass and taking names. He's won one out of six races. The other five have gone to uh, HMD GRG, so that's pretty spectacular. Um, nonetheless, do I think, oh, well, Kyle's finally been revealed. Oh, he's not that good. No, come on. That kid's redonkulously talented. Just learning a lot as well. Making some mistakes for sure. And uh, I don't know if Andretti Autosport is as crisp as I expected them to be. So Linus for sure is showing us right now that he has got the goods. David is showing us something that is 
staggeringly impressive. I would still put Linus, regardless of how the championship is settled, whether it's Linus, whether it's Kyle, whether it's David, or who knows if someone else, Toby Sowery might jump up, put the beat down on people. Linus has something right now that I think is intriguing in knowing how many IndyCar team owners think. If there's some money behind Linus to go up to IndyCar, I think he might be getting a pretty quick look from a lot of teams. So uh, he's got a little bit of that mystery to him, mainly because he performed last year away from the IndyCar paddock. So to show up and for many team owners who maybe heard his name but haven't seen him, to see that kid holding up a lot of P1 trophies already, I think that's going to be the business right there. Uh, let's see, where else can I go here that might be interesting for you? Uh, Thomas Gross, is it time to swap the names on the tires? It seems like most of the times, teams prefer to run the race on the alternate tires and use the primary tires as little as possible. Uh, maybe we should call the red tires the primary and the black ones the alternates. Or just use hard and soft terminology like F1. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. I don't know why you know, the whole color thing. Although I like the colors, it's kind of you know, it's cute. Um, yeah, I mean, again, man, it, it really does depend, and it changes from year to year because the tires change from year to year. Sometimes you hear drivers saying, "Nope, I don't know whether I'm going to start on reds or go out, use them second, but you're going to get them off the car as quickly as I can because the primaries that's the one to use um but i do realize that as you're mentioning thomas it fluctuates a lot uh let's see where can we go Lori carter hey Lori. she asks, who do you think will get the poll this weekend well so we need to acknowledge Lori, that apparently there's one driver in the field you really dislike because you know by asking me and by me answering uh, I'm going to just ruin that person's chance of being on pole just because my predictions are always wrong and I tend to damage those who I name. So uh, we're going to blame it on you, Lori, if indeed the curse of me making predictions actually comes through. So the wild decision that I'd love to see would be Scott McLaughlin. Do I think he's going to be on pole? I don't. Well, if I can say why. Just, I don't feel it. I don't know why. Um, I'm going to go way out of left field here and say, God, they all feel out of left field. Why is that? That's dumb. Uh, Graham Rahal. I, I just, I, I don't know. I like what's going on here. Um, I like the cut of his something or other. Uh, I like what's going on there. So I'll just say Graham, and then I'll also apologize to Graham because I think I just screwed him. Uh, EJ, also known as at EWJ2001 from the tweeters. So I think you said before that you don't enjoy making predictions, but with no time on track to basis on, what are your picks to get bumped? Says hashtag me personally. I say Chilton and Karam. Was having this conversation with a driver who will be vying for one of those 33 spots like moments before we started recording and the first one, which I mentioned in my little, or the thing that Robin and I did 
a little kind of preview and stuff to look for. If you're not putting Top Gun Racing as the first team out, you're not looking at their realistic odds. So I'm not talking about the little guy and rooting for the underdog and like they've got a great underdog story going on. So again, none none of this is personal. None of this is, I mean, I, as I said, I think last week, I so want them to qualify. I want, I'm going to, I need to send a note in here. If they make the show, everyone stay the hell away from that story. I'm writing it because I can't wait to write it. I love to write that Top Gun Racing qualified for the Indy 500. Because when you think about all of the firsts, right? I know that the car did a little bit of shaking down. Again, a little bit of shaking down at Gateway in road course downforce trim. So not speedway, but road course trim as you would around Gateway. Um, First ever laps for that car will be turned once it hits the track. So it has zero miles at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. With a team that has turned zero laps at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. With a driver who has turned zero laps at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Uh, I have learned that their engineer is a gentleman by the name of Eric Peterson. I don't think I know Eric. Not that that means anything. Just I don't know if we've met before. Uh, I know that he's done a lot of sports car stuff. I know that he worked for Michael Shank for a while, uh, about a decade ago, more on the managerial side, does a lot of contract engineering from what I understand, right? I, that's exactly what I used to do after I kind of retired from IndyCar, flying out to a lot of races, engineering, World Challenge this, and, you know, Road Indy that, and, right? Hired by a lot of teams to be a kind of good all-around engineer to do a wide variety of stuff. Um to my knowledge, again, could be 1,000% wrong. I think this would be his first time as a IndyCar race engineer. I know that he's been assistant engineer, right? Kind of assistant engineer is also another word for the data engineer, person looking after the uh, the data systems on the car and some other things too. But I think this might be his first time as a full-bore IndyCar or Indy 500 race engineer. If that's the case, that's another big first. So none of that is critical of Eric. That's just saying if this is his first time engineering an Indy 500 entry for a team that's never turned a lap, with a driver that's never turned a lap, with a car that's never turned a lap, oh, and in three and a half days worth of running needs to find the speed to knock out all veteran teams or say for a Preda Autosport, a team directly affiliated with team Penske. It's just, it's, Oh my God. <laughs> the forget the, the iceberg. We're not, we're, we're running aground here. Like that's how big the, Oh my God, how do we avoid not getting clobbered by all of the things that are standing in our way in terms of obstacles. And that's also the awesome thing, EJ, about the Indy 500, right? Pippa Man, Clawson Marshall Racing. Ah, why are they even going to bother? Why even turn up? Make the show one of the great stories of the race. 
again, we all know the Kyle Kaiser, Hunkos Racing, knocking McLaren or Alonso out. These are the things we live for. Uh, Dragon Speed making the show, right? Hired a veteran engineer, John Dick, right? They knew that they needed to get a veteran, true veteran. Been in the wars forever. Uh, that paid a lot of, that paid a lot. Uh, transformed their capabilities at the event. Just working down the lists, the list of reality here where you go, wow, there's a lot of firsts. I would not expect them to have an easy time and not because they won't try hard. I think I wrote in that little thing as well that Roy Wilkerson, the very good man who is Roy Wilkerson, uh, has been hired as a crew chief. That guy is going to have that team whipped into as good a shape as they can be in. Um, there's some positive. There's certainly some positive stuff here. It just scares me to think of all the news, new, 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 all the firsts that they're going to be doing here, knowing that they got to knock out a couple teams to be in the show. Be one thing if there was 34 entries and they were the 34th. I'd say, hey, so-and-so could crash, fluky thing. Hey, why wouldn't they be in the show? That happening twice, two fluky things, knocking out two cars in front of them to make them the de facto 33rd, that just feels like a bit of a stretch, EJ. So then you have performance. I am not saying that they can't and won't get up to speed. I'm just saying, boy, with all those firsts and news, to get past compared to others who were at the open test. What was it 28 cars, I think, at the open test? And even for some who weren't, you go, well, the Foyts were there. Bolton, Jer Hildebrand, who in point one of a lap is going to be fully up to speed. Stefan Wilson, sure hasn't driven any car for a couple of years, but he's at frickin' Andretti and is going you know, he's gonna be right up to speed. He's throwing a couple others again, you go, okay. For those who weren't there running at the open test who have it all to start figuring out here a couple days before qualifying, that's going to be tough. The other little thing here to close just on this with the Top Gun Racing folks, if they do anything other than focus on qualifying trim, once the RC gets through uh, ROP, assuming that there are no gremlins or things that slow them down again, the newness is a little bit of the question mark, right? Uh, could there be something on the car that acts up, you know, electrical gremlin, something where you go, oh, man, we're going to lose whatever, an hour, two, or three. Like, they're the cannot afford to lose a second of time entry in this year's race. I can't think of any other that is similar to the everything has to go perfect. We have to find speed. All the things that are new uh our firsts all need to just get wiped away as fast as possible get down to business and then i get away from me (laughs) no toes no toes at all we are doing all of our running uh strictly by ourselves and it's going to be low fuel fresh tire it's going to be 100 percent qualifying trim that's the only thing i can think of to do to improve their odds whatever that odds whatever the odds might be uh the other one uh you mentioned chilton and Karam. you know we've seen the the carlin team certainly be not so bad on ovals uh more of late 
and know that Connor didn't have a happy uh, Texas, especially the close to it, not his fault so much. Uh, but yeah, starting back there on points, certainly brutal. Uh, but yeah, Max can wheel a car around the speedway. Uh, he'll be there for those who are wondering. He will definitely be there. Um, I don't know. Uh, I feel like Carlin's going to be okay. Dron Reinbold is the one that I'm concerned about. Uh, just sharing something we've maybe discussed before. They're down to one car by choice. It's also a little bit of choice on the driver's side as well. Um, to say I'm going to maybe look elsewhere a little bit just because the team has just lacked enough over the last two years, I think, to where being that one-off team is becoming harder and harder and harder every year. I know that John Reinbold did a few extra races last year. Just to talk about who they are coming into the race, and that is a team that, again, hasn't had a lot of opportunity to go out and run and run and run and run and improve everything about their operation. So knowing that they have struggled for pace the last couple of years, knowing that they're now down to one car, knowing that even if you're struggling, you can look at data from two cars and try and find some things to help both. Okay, well, this is working okay for you. We hadn't tried that. We're going to do that on both cars. That'll lift us up a little bit. And hey, this driver said this, and why don't we, I made this change. Okay, and we're going to lift up both. You're stuck with yourself. And if things aren't going well, there really isn't anyone else to turn to now. So it's just those things that uh, scare me a little bit for Dennis and Sage. Sage can drive a car like mad on ovals. Never a question about that kid and his capabilities. Uh, and Dennis, they do their absolute best. Just gonna, We're going to find out this year whether being a, a one-off independent, as my voice breaks, one-off independent team, no associations with bigger organizations, if those days are maybe coming to an end. Uh, it felt like that's been the case the last year or two with Ryan Reinbold. Wow, just only getting tougher. What's it going to be like this year? Half the size, half the information. <sighs> so Top Gun, Ryan Reinbold, R.C. Enerson, Sage Karams. R.C. can drive a car, by the way, too. Wow, that I so want to see him in the 500 because I think however good the car is, he's going to do some stuff that we remember. So... But those are my two fears. Um, and if they aren't the ones going out, I think there's going to be some big stories to write about who didn't make it in. And again, if it's a crash, if it's a unfortunate circumstance that leads to uh, another entry being out, that's one thing. If it's straight-up speed, getting beaten by the new, 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 first, 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 and the small independent half size half the information team what again i hate making predictions as you mentioned all that kind of stuff but uh yeah um i can't wait uh i, I feel for whomever's not going to make it in uh having been on the last row twice before i think in my five years at the indy 500 as a crew member yeah i, I know the the agita and the hole that burns in your stomach while it's going on. So I already feel for those who are going home. I don't know who they are, but, oh, boy, not so much fun. Uh, Nick 
Papandria. How you doing, Nick? Hope I didn't murder your last name. Mentioned with a threat of rain Tuesday and Wednesday, is it possible to see only two days of practice? And what are the odds of a team like Top Gun uh, bowing out before qualifying? Um, hmm. I know that it was raining with there to with one driver that I spoke with not too long ago. I think the uh, forecast has improved a little bit here, so we'll find out, obviously, if it's raining when we wake up. Uh, or you're not going to be listening to this probably, but at that point in time, regardless... Yeah, like I said, uh, the Top Gun entry is that we need everything to go perfectly. We don't have time for mechanical or electrical issues, especially to have things rained out. Would they bow out? Uh, they're, they're a little defiant, aren't they? They're a little scrappy middle finger to, no, nope, we're doing it our way. We're doing it no matter what. Um... I like that about them. So unless there are some other circumstances that would lead them to not uh, go forward in the race, um, I would have to imagine they'd keep trying. Uh, Let's see. Where else do we go here? Matthew Featherman, Chaco File from Twitter, and Lance Snyder, my Minister of Mirth. Uh, I'll ask questions about Carlin Racing, Max Chilton, and their lack of participation in the Indy Grand Prix. Um, MP, says Matthew, it seems really odd Carlin didn't put someone in their car for the GP, uh, especially with last year's scramble for Leader Circle money. Says, I would have thought Karen for sure, maybe Piggott or Askew, even Stefan Wilson. Uh, I Piggott and Askew were at Mid-Ohio with IMSA duties, so... Uh, would have been a little bit tough for them. Steph, certainly a possibility. Uh, I know there was one driver who reached out. He didn't say to mention his name, so I won't. And uh, He would have been an amazing decision uh, for them to use, but uh, they did, again, didn't. Um, a lot of questions here about did they loo- are they at risk of being on the outside of the leader circle due to missing the GP where they get a pass because of uh, Max's travel problems. Uh, Lance, you say, did he hose his mechanics by not racing? Uh, were they paid to start, you know, or, uh, the garage or car prep for the 500 from another portion of the budget? Yeah, it's not like a, hey, we just raced and now y'all can get money for the job you did type scenario, Lance. I mean, it, it's, you know, regular salaried people, uh, even if they're independent contractors. You know, that money is going to show up every week, two weeks, whatever their deals are. Uh, so, yeah. Not competing in the NDGP should not have affected any of the mechanics, any of the crew member in any way. I posed this question to the awesome woman who is Stephanie Carlin, uh, who runs the team along with her husband, Trev, good old Trevor. Uh, It was more the leader circle side to all of your points as well. And yeah, they they took a hit there. Um, Since leader circle points are awarded for entries that compete in the race and earn points in the races. Even though they were entered, they did not compete. Therefore they did not have a finishing position to have points awarded for that position. So therefore they got nada, nothing, absolutely zero and zilch out of the Indy Grand Prix in terms of points and have fallen way back in the old leader circle. Um, so 
what I asked was what many of you have asked. And I think like one of the earlier questions, there's probably a thousand words of what was the deal at Carlin uh, as well. And so I asked Steph and she said, the reason we put out that press release saying Max won't be racing travel issues 30 minutes before the start of practice is we were still holding out hope. And there was apparently a real possibility that despite those travel issues, he might get in and might be able to compete. And I don't know the timing of this, why they put it out then or the put out something that says Max has been delayed and we're still hoping to have him here and we'll keep you updated throughout the day, this being Friday, two practice sessions and qualifying. But she did say they had even, you know, spoken with IndyCar and said, we believe it's still possible, you know, if by chance he misses today, since he's raced here many times before, is there a chance of him just going straight into the warm-up Saturday morning and starting dead last with no starting spot? Said, yep, we, we, if you can get him here, we can do it. So I think that's the reason why there was no scramble to put someone else in, change over the car completely, and then potentially have to change it all back in a fairly short amount of time. I'm, I'm going on what I was told here. I have no reason to disbelieve anything that Steph said. I would say that if there was such a big question about Max, the idea of, hey, we're going to go with that plan B. If you do get here on Friday, awesome. But we need to think race. We need to think leader circle. We need to think all these things. So we're going to commit to a alternate driver for Saturday. That person will do the practices, do the race. Uh, I'm sorry, do qualifying, and then you're going to slot in um, Saturday morning and take it from there, and, you know, again, hopefully all goes well. But that's the only thing that just stood out as a little bit odd, and I know it stood out as odd to many of you based on the volume of questions going, oh, why did you just not put someone else in? I totally get the we were hoping to have Max. We thought we might have Max. We wanted to keep that open. But, again, if I'm thinking big picture, if there are plans to keep Competing in IndyCar beyond 2021 and knowing that budget is often the thing that is cited as the greatest deficiency holding the team back from success. An action that would seemingly make it really hard for you to get that 1.1 or 2 or whatever million dollar guaranteed stipend uh, next season. We're going to see how that plays out for the rest of the year. Uh, Tim Falkowitz says, love the Justice Brothers story and how they're supporting the underdogs and racing. Even our podcast. So I've seen their logo in the Meyer Shank cars. Are they sponsoring any other cars this May? Well, I spotted your question, Tim. Sent a note to my pal, Mr. Justice at Justice, and haven't heard back by the time we were recording. I know that in the past, I believe, we have seen uh, Justice Brothers logos on uh, Dry and Reinbold cars. I don't know if that participation and whatnot is still going on, but I guess we're going to find out tomorrow. So at least Jack Harvey's car. Uh, and that's not a bad thing at all. Uh, our pal Hrishi Despond, as we start to wind down the show here, says, was listening to a certain Miami-based sports podcast, the movie Driven came up. My question, which is worse, saying that Driven was about Formula One or saying that Driven was a pretty good movie? Oh, 
boy, this question's come up a lot in my life, Krishi. Um, I'm going to have to answer it while filtering it through the Miami-based sports podcast, which I don't know what it is, but I'll just, again, go with you on this one. Um, it would have to be that saying Formula One was the premise of Driven, if this is indeed uh, what the folks at this Miami-based sports podcast thought that they were watching. Because for them to say it was good would then not be a surprise. Because if you're so oblivious to have no knowledge that you are watching a movie that is centered on IndyCar rather than Formula One, and it's said by actors, I know it's said by the air quote commentators in the movie, um, Larry Henry, Paul Page, speaking the words IndyCar, cart, right? So this is written, said, you name it. For anyone to watch the movie and think it was about Formula One, okay, that's pretty dumb. For those people to say that they thought it was a pretty good movie wouldn't surprise me because they have no, they clearly have no clue what they're watching or talking about. So to then say it was a good movie would actually fall perfectly in line, Rishi. So thanks for sending that in. Uh, Joey Tebbin. Is that Joey I Tebbin? Joey pre-Tebbin I? I don't know. You you seem familiar to a Joey of the Priuses, I think, but maybe you aren't. Hmm. The Shank team are the ultimate underdogs, and they're probably my favorite team in IndyCar right now, but unfortunately it seems like they're also the worst team at pit stops right now. Every race it seems like there's a mistake that loses Harvey a couple positions after a strong start. Wheel gun failure at the Indy GP may not have been the pit crew's fault. Part of a longer streak of issues, slow stops from the team. Am I being too harsh on the Shank crew, or do they need to start working a lot more on pit stops? I'm going to take a sip of water. My voice is gone. I can't argue with you here, Joey. I I wish I could say no to everything. I have an affinity for the team. Jack is my wife's favorite driver. So, But I also got to be honest with you. I'm not going to tell you guys untruthiness. Yeah. Uh, Each year, the team improves a little bit. Each year, the team gets a little bit better. And each year, it seems like the team adds more people from big programs who can help share some of the better ways to possibly do things. It's been a little bit distressing that pit lane is the place where you almost wince a little bit and go, oh, man, I really wished our car somehow could go three times as long on a tank of fuel so we didn't have to risk something going wrong here so yeah just say boy for them being in their not even halfway through their second full-time season it feels like they're overachieving a bit so they've been around for a while did their first 500 in 2017 i get all that but you're not wrong we have a reason to expect more now, right? Wow. Got great stuff from race engineer Andy Listis. 
Jack's been driving like a madman, right? Like really just killing it. So there's a reason to expect big things. They'll get this stuff cleaned up. Um, Mike Shank is not a person who lives well with frustration. And that's a good thing. He's also a really kind-hearted guy, which can also be a little bit of a liability. Uh, would Roger Penske, Tim Sindrick, Chip Ganassi, Mike Hull, Michael Andretti, Rob Edwards, so on, yank a person off of pit lane, even if they're the super, a super veteran? Would they lose one wink of sleep over it? Not a chance. Might hurt them a little bit. They might hurt them a lot. They'd never let it show. But they're going to do what is best for the team. Maybe one area where Mike's a real family team guy. Wonder if having someone to do a little bit of the hammer dropping, if needed, uh, is one area of improvement, right? So they're going to get there, though. That You can't be this strong and ignore some of the things that need improvement. So they're going to get there. Just going to be a little bit rough, maybe. Um, Phil, at Safe Phil, do you think Jack Harvey will win this year? Surely he deserves some results for the performances thus far. I don't know if a win, I don't know if I feel a win is there this year. Uh, I feel like it's possible, but I'm not talking a timing of a yellow win and hey we pitted just before and we got rewarded and we jumped to the front i'm just talking straight up we outran everybody it feels like they're at a p2 p3 p4 type place i don't know if going out kicking ass and taking names grabbing pole winning the thing or whatnot you know i just don't know if that was fully there it feels like there's just another step. Maybe, again, it could happen. I hope it happens this year. But I won't be surprised if that first win doesn't come till early next year. But maybe the best part here, Phil, is I don't know if we're questioning whether it's possible. I think most people would look at it and go, yeah, it's going to happen. Just not sure if it's going to be this year. Uh and here you go, Joshua Barrett. I'm trying to think if I should close the show on this. Got one or two others I don't want to dive into quickly. Just a little bit past two hours, but that's fine. Um, love this. <laughs> I wish I'd spotted this too. I'm a little jealous. How much poor fortune can Jack H's have in one weekend? He mentions Jack Harvey and then Jack Hawksworth as well in the IMSA race. Yeah, that wasn't great. Uh, flat tire for uh, Jack Hawksworth um, while they were, yeah, looking like they could have won the GTD class potentially. Uh, Jack Harvey as well. Yeah, and then just as I mentioned in the little brain dump thing as well, uh, Shank's IMSA team, yeah, they had some not great stuff happen on pit lane, got hit leaving it, and uh, then also had some fuel strategery stuff as well that had them finish last in DPI. So it was a kick to the crotch toriel area for Meyershank racing last weekend. Uh, hey, you mentioned Jack Hawksworth, by the way. 
Um, he's a mighty fine race car driver. I hope that he gets another chance to run an Indy car because I think he might be a pretty darn good solution for somebody, but we'll have to see. Uh, where are we going to close the show? We're going to close it on, let's see, JJ Gertler, you're wanting to know about Will Power going off on his engineers about front ride height and qualifying. Why would that be a bad thing? What would be the issue, etc.? cetera? Uh, not knowing exactly what the problem was. Uh, if the ride height was too low, he would have been making contact with the ground a lot and making the car hit the ground a lot tends not to make it go as fast as it can. Uh, from the obvious standpoint of if you're constantly striking the ground, that is slowing you down a little bit. But more than that, uh, you can start to choke underbody aerodynamics a little bit. If the ride height was too high, uh, boy, you can have some fairly not great turning capabilities. Uh, you can also lose more downforce than you would want. Uh, a little bit of a sweet spot in terms of nailing ride height. Front ride height is really, really critical. So I don't know what the root of the issue was. But yeah, if you're yelling about front ride height, it's usually not because you nailed it. Um, Casey Coolidge, you, uh, you're going to be the person who closes the show. Talking about Juan Pablo Montoya. Seems to have had a fairly frustrating day uh, in his first day with Air McLaren SP, like Elio Castroneves did this year. Says, is this a, exposing an Achilles heel of the team in the Indy Grand Prix? Says, may we expect too much from aging drivers, a combination or neither of the two? Who do you expect to fare better at the 500? Thanks in advance. Best to you and your family. Thanks, Casey. I would have to say that would be our man Montoya. Did text with him a little bit after the race. Obviously wanted things to go better, but he was not in a bad state of mind. Uh, said, hey, there's some positives here. You know, I realized that this race wasn't phenomenal. And I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but yeah, in isolation, this race was not everything we wanted it to be by any stretch. But did we get to work together? Did we get to do pit stops? Did we get to get to know each other in a competitive setting? Yes. Did I come here to do the Indy Grand Prix and that's the main goal? Well, we know the answer to that. The answer is Indy 500, ring number three. So he's working with Craig Hampson, one of the all-time greats of engineering. The team had an off weekend altogether, right? It'd be one thing if Pato and Felix were running towards the front, JPM was towards the back, really wasn't the case. The team just was had a terrible weekend, were off from the outset Maybe got a little bit better, but not much. So when the entire team has missed the setup window and you have a returning driver after three, four years of not being an IndyCar driver, though we did do a lot of the testing for the uh, what we have now with the 2018 uh, body kit. Nonetheless, when the team is struggling mightily at an event that also happens to be a veteran driver's return to this different type of racing than he's been doing, yeah, uh, just showed all those things that would make a weekend go bad, pile on to the guy who's having to get back up to speed, learn the team, the handling of the car, just a lot of things. So I wouldn't put it down to age, man. 
uh, even if he was 35 and had been in sports cars or something for the last five years or whatever it's been, I'd still expect the same thing to happen if the whole team was doing poorly. And if the team was doing very, very well, I would still expect him to be last among those, among the Aaron McLaren SP trio, but just much farther up the grid. So, eh, I mean, he's about as hardcore as it gets in terms of expectations for himself and the team. Does not sugarcoat anything. He will let you, he'll give you the business if it's warranted. And to my pleasant surprise, our man Montoya was not super grumpy in his accounting of how things went. Really looking forward to doing the 500 that uh, I think they are going to do very, very well. So, yeah, an oddity for for sure. To have that happen at two consecutive Indy Road Course rounds, I apologize for forgetting the, the sequence of all this, but yeah, wasn't super complimentary for Elio. Uh, nonetheless, JPM wasn't super complimentary for him as well. That guy's not worried about it, though. Uh, knowing that he's stepping into a Air McLaren SP team that, for the most part, has been achieving at a high level this year, I would say that's the comfort zone to say, we should expect him to have a better 500 than Elio, who is about to become Meyershank Racing's first-ever expansion driver, first time running a second car, so on and so forth. Dear old friend of mine, Matt Swan, is a crew chief on that car. Uh, so I know he is going to be trying to make that thing extra awesome, but uh, still a little bit too much of a new venture for them for me to think that Elio's going to be the one of the two to really uh, overachieve at this year's 500. Famous last words, of course. I just doomed both of them. All right, y'all. It is late. I need to say farewell uh, to all of you who sent in the crazy amount of questions we didn't get to. You are loved just as much, if not more. Uh, I don't really know if I'm going to do the day at Indie podcast like I've done the last couple of years be honest y'all tired <laughs> worked all last weekend i'm not complaining about the the reporting and normal stuff but it was a 15 hour day yesterday writing a lot of content to get ready for the uh, 500 it's going to be a pretty busy week and whatever uh, i think i'm doing all the reporting as well there so plus i have a ton of stuff to write that hasn't been so i don't know if i'm going to have time to do the date indies i might try and do one or two uh, but for the most part, just going to say big thanks to you with your questions. If I do some of the day at Indies and there are any questions that are a little more evergreen, uh, non-driver specific, right? If I'm having driver X on and he sent in a question about another driver, maybe you don't need that. But uh, maybe if any of these that I didn't get to, you want to send back in for some of those shows, I can try and get to a couple. Um, but I know that uh, this is going to be pretty darn hard to uh, do crazy intensive uh, extra podcasts uh, for the next little bit. All right. Thanks so much to you. Thanks so much to Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com. Speak to you as soon as I can. <laughs>